As a content warning, this episode contains talk of suicide and the destruction of the human race. Use your best judgment as to whether you should listen to this episode or not. Thank you. Hi, welcome to the Beijing Conspiracy. I am Steven Zuber. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm Jason Herrider. And Jason is sitting in for Katrina today because Katrina is out on vacation. Traveling abroad. In Australia, no less. As well, far from us as she could possibly get. While still on Earth. Right. It's like 36 hours away by plane. Damn. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. So we have Jason on today to talk about uh, voluntary human extinction, or not necessarily voluntary human extinction, but just... Whether humans should be around in general, are, are humans the worst thing ever, or just almost the worst thing ever, I guess, would be the question we have to pose to Jason. The first time we met Jason, he mentioned a thought experiment that I thought couldn't go undiscussed, so it's been, it's been a long time coming, but I wanted to have it on the show. Actually, I'll let you go ahead and take it from here. I don't, I don't remember what thought the, experiment you're talking the, about. Killing everybody? <laughs> under I mean, like there, there's a lot of ways that you can get to killing everybody what pressing a button to end all human life oh yeah i mean it, yeah so the so the are there other ones that you might be that you could get behind or i mean i don't know that i could necessarily get reminded you have the um you have like a lot of utilitarian arguments end in or can end in either something awful like a utility monster or killing everybody right or or as I prefer, like, I think my ultimate goal would be Brave New World. Um, Which, when I read Brave New World, I didn't get all the way to the end because I just kind of got disgusted with it. I was like, how is this not a wonderful, ideal society? Everybody's happy. There's, like, there's drugs. There's free drugs for everybody. Everyone is born knowing what their purpose in life is and that mm -hmm. they are the best person to do this thing. There's mm -hmm. no, like, stumbling around trying to figure out what you're supposed to do or how you can contribute to society. It's just all there laid out for you. Except, uh... Well, except yeah. the one guy. Yeah, he... There was an accident there, when he was born, and there so... Was, there was one liberal arts major who, <laughs> who... Who decided that the world was not... The world was not as good as it could have been. Right. Well, he, I mean, it needed more pain and suffering. It's obviously shitty for him, because, you know, he was... You're, you're optimized for one specific role, and then you're the rust in something else. No, but it would be like if the David Bowie person got stuck in a job for, like, uh, engineer types, accounting or programming or something, mm -hmm. and that was what he was forced to do for the, his whole life, yeah, he'd be miserable. And it really sucks for him, but I didn't see how this book was supposed to be an argument for this society is shitty. Like, uh, one guy got fucked due to a genetic accident. It's Society itself is still pretty good. Everybody everybody was happy. Everybody happy. And I think that's kind of... That's that's where a lot of these arguments end up with, right? You, that you have most utilitarian arguments kind of take a summation, right? And obviously we're generalizing. Most utilitarian arguments take a, take a summation of total happiness and well-being uh, of humanity. And then they, they, they want to overall increase that... Uh, you know that that total sum. Um, my take on it is a little bit different. First off, I I uh, include animals. Um, a lot of utilitarians include animals too. Yep. yep. And because we're trying to do a lot of of explain like on five, I think we've covered exactly what utilitarianism is. It's an ethical system that says the right thing to do is that which increases happiness for the greatest number of possible participants, depending on what kind of utilitarian you are. I think going all the way back basically included animals. Um, I don't know if it did. Jeremy oh. Bentham's utilitarianism? I don't know. I know at least it's in John Stuart Mill. I guess that would be uh, all the way back, yeah. 
So the idea is that, okay, well, should I donate to this charity or this charity, or should I, I mean, it could be even more broad than that, right? Do I stay at home all day and watch TV, or do I go to work so I can pay bills and give some to charity or something? I, I, th- uh, I think th- at its most basic, it boils down to, the way you could put it is, is it better to give one person $5 or to give 10 people 75 cents? And, you know, you add up 10 people times 75 cents is more than $5. So even though they are not going to be as happy as the one guy who got $5, total happiness is increased more if you go with the 75 cent round. And that's basically what utilitarianism is. It's, you know, it it deals in terms of utils, which are these imaginary measurement units for measuring how happy someone is. Points, yeah. Yeah, points, basically. And there's no way to actually measure them. But in theory... It's, you know, if something would make one person unhappy, but the other, and someone else more happy than that unhappiness, then the net, net, um, utility is positive. And it takes basic axioms that most people agree with, like, happiness is good, unhappiness is bad, people want to be happy, they don't want to be sad. Yeah. And the, the soundbite from Jeremy Bentham is the greatest happiness for the greatest number. And then you describe the difference between total aggregate and average. Um, mm-hmm. so that I think was in the last century where people broke down, uh, do you take, the total number of utils or happiness of everybody on Earth and add them together and say, okay, cool, it's at 7 billion, or I guess that assume everyone had one. So whatever, it's at 7 trillion. Uh, the higher the better. Or the average utils are at like 3 billion. So depending on how you approach it depends on how you might answer some various questions on what you should do. All right, we should we should actually cover that as the, um, the abhorrent conclusion problem. But before we, want to, before we get to there, I did want to point out that conversely, you know, it sounds it like it makes perfect sense when I put it in terms of cents and dollars per person. Uh, but conversely, there's the the now famous fat, pushing a fat man in front of a trolley problem, where a trolley is on a track to hit five people, mm-hmm. and do you push a fat man in front of the trolley, which would kill him, but would stop the trolley before it hits the five people? And generally, the utilitarian answer, at least the classical, original utilitarian answer was yes, because one person is dying, and that is less bad than five people dying. And most people have some severe issues with that particular conclusion, and there is lots of discussion about why that may not be, in fact, the optimal thing to do. This this is the typically the second question asked in the chain of questions that when they put people to the experiment, uh, either on, under fMRI or however, the first question is much less controversial. You're standing by the switch on a on a railroad, mm-hmm. and for some reason, down one way, the the way that the train is currently going, you see five people chained to the tra- trained chained to the train tracks, and then. If you pull the switch, the train will diverge and go down another track where there's one person tried, tied to the train tracks. Most people will say, yeah, I'll pull the switch. Five's better than one. Mm-hmm. When it comes to pushing someone in front of the train, or trolley, because uh, one person couldn't stop a train, but uh, trolley is, is more believable. People have a a gut instinct and reaction against taking an active hand in murdering somebody, as opposed to a passive one. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something like 90 Five, it's some overwhelming majority of people will pull a switch and move the train from one to the other, uh, but it's radically less, less than a quarter, I think, of people will will push the person. Yeah, and what? mainly I just bring that up to to demonstrate that it isn't always naturally intuitive that utilitarianism is the best way to do to do things. But I think ninety percent of the time, most people lean utilitarian. I don't think they do. I think um, people who think about it may, but deontology also has some strong arguments to it, and there's. There's a lot of different ethical systems out there. We should we should point out that in the in the less wrong community, right? You've got, I think, on, on the show notes for your last show, you you gave kind of a uh, a breakdown of different different ethical 
um, different schools of ethics that the, that the lesser on community believes in. And it's, it's mostly consequentialist, which it's, I think it's fair to say that most utilitarians are consequentialists. And then it's oh. got a very small percentage of deontologists. The thing with deontology that always bugged me was that Kant didn't pick his rules arbitrarily mm-hmm. and then say, go do, you know, you have to do those things. He chose consequentialist arguments and then say, you have to do those all the time. Right. So it's, it starts with consequentialist reasoning and then just says no rule breaking. Yeah. But yeah, we can do our own long episode on, on ethics if we want. Right. We are not here about ethics. We're here about killing all the humans, which has nothing to do with ethical theory. Or does it? <laughs> we, did, we, just, we, just, we just push somebody into a train, so. To save five more, though. Yeah. Would you push everyone in front of a train to save nobody? <laughs> well, Seems like a trick question, Brian. Well, what if those... Steven. What if Jesus those... Christ, why did I just call you Brian? Did what I if, do that before? What if, what if those five people were, were uh, in severe pain? And it would actually make their lives better because they would no longer have negative utility. Right. It's a lot of reason a lot of people choose to, you know, commit suicide if they're already terminally ill and mm-hmm. uh, and in a lot of pain. And they're like, the rest of my life is just going to be pain. I should probably stop it now. The important caveat, I think, between the word suicide and euthanasia is that if you're just suicidal, my life's pain, and that's how you're you're feeling at the time. And that things can't get better, but that, that's just kind of how your mental state is. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case. You could be, you know, treated mm-hmm. and felt better. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not you're sick or have a, have a, or whether or not, I guess you're, have a deteriorating illness or a mental illness. If you, if you have a prospect of getting better, I become less and less in favor of, of euthanasia slash suicide. That's a difficult call to make though. I mean, I am with you because I, I am a very optimistic, hopeful person and I think, yeah, there's always hope, but it is a difficult call to make because you can't a lot of you know a lot of um mental disorders don't map well you can't you can't see you know what they're going what the prognosis is and so for someone to say you're definitely going to get better is not necessarily true this could be a case where someone is just going to be in pain forever and and maybe it would be better for them to kill themselves it's why i'm god we got to put trigger notes for suicide on this episode because Mm -hmm. i hate saying that and I, i i don't think it's true in general but i have to admit that in theory it is possible that there are people who will have negative net utility throughout that you know from now to the rest of their lives but at that point it's like a guessing game right yes, so like exactly. so you're saying no there there is a chance if you're if you have a say a major depressive disorder that no therapy will have any improvement for you right anything from you know uh the smallest dose of cymbalta to straight up to lobotomy nothing is going to make you any better so that's that there, there might be a human on earth that that's true for but that's different than saying like you're dying of cancer you've got six weeks to live we've exhausted all the options it's just going to get worse and you're going to die well, at that point it's kind of like well can i check myself out now i i say yes oh i totally agree but i the precautionary principle generally says that if you aren't sure you err on the side of not killing yourself agreed uh but you know i don't think it's necessarily a good idea to make that a law and deny the people that option because then you're just saying, I know you better than you do, which maybe is the case, but isn't always. Like, I know you're going to get better and my judgment overrules your judgment, even though you are the person who generally has the best insight into your own brain. And in that case, I kind of think the precautionary principle almost says, don't interfere with other people's decisions. I was I wouldn't say that I know better than... than someone does but i would say that i think there there's a good chance and until you've tried everything 
it's probably worth it because you just don't know what you're missing. Yeah. You know, once once you get through a depressive disorder, things become much more enjoyable. And then then when when you're in the midst of it, the idea of like why would I want to keep doing this just seems like a natural thought. But then you don't realize that that's part of what being depressed is. And I want to say I'm not encouraging um, suicide in any way because when I was uh, in my late teens and early twenties, I was extremely suicidal, and I you know I almost I came very close to death a couple times. And so I'm, I'm, I'm about to agree with a lot of things you're going to say because I felt all those things too. So, um, but now I'm much happier with life. And on, on the whole, I'm extremely glad that I stuck it out because things have gotten amazing and, and I'm extremely happy. And, uh, and, and what exactly is your socioeconomic status? I currently make above the median income we want for our country. For, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make slightly above the median income for the, for the country, mm-hmm. uh, America. And and you're a and white what I people am, would I identify I am, as male at least? Yes, I yeah. am a white male. I, yeah. I am extremely privileged. I'm basically straight. Uh, I I'm cis. I, I look like a normal person. I don't have any major disabilities. So so if I had to take a guess as to whether or not you were going to be happy and know nothing else about you other than that, I'd, I'd probably say that you're 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 going to be happy. I, you're, you're at least going to give yourself a seven, which is kind of the the. The, the number that the like world happiness values like the that the UN does in you know Protestant countries and higher income countries. Are you basing I, that number off of statistics you read? I'm pretty sure that that depressive disorders are less common among developing countries and among poor, a lot of poor populations. That it's a lot once you have like the affluence and luxury to be depressed, then that's when you get depressed. Yeah, you might have more depression, but um, as far as people just rating their happiness as in a, on a zero to ten, which is obviously you know not fallible. You generally range between four and like up to the, up to eight in some um, like Sweden and Finland, hmm. whereas places like Jordan and Greece even, Gre- Greece isn't pretty good right now either. Even considering that those places have a lot of of uh, high rates of depression, mm-hmm. huh? That's kind of interesting. I wonder. I, don't, I guess I'll have to look into into it more. We can find a link. Yeah, yeah, we can put on the. It's a UN. The UN puts out a report every couple of years. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I would just like to see how they phrase the questions. Um, We're going to totally apply you for links after this, because yeah. that, that's what we like to do with our show. Notes. Sure. Tons and of links. As long as we're, you know, still starting out a little bit, do you want to talk about it yourself at all, or, or how you came to be in the recording studio? So, like, how, how, I, how I came to push the button? Or Ooh, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good title right there. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good title. <laughs> uh, I, uh, or how I, how I came to the room? Or a little just about you, if you want to talk well, about you or I entered, I entered a, I entered a code into the front, <laughs> to the front door, and then I followed the elevator up to the, to the east hallway, and then, I believe uh, technically Steve entered north. the code. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, start, start from birth. We're going to do that. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so there I was in my mom's uterus. My, just kind of chilling. My, my rationalist history is I was, I was baptized Catholic. Um, when I was 14, I read the Bible and didn't make sense. Um, and I, you know, that, that seems to be a common, common enough jumping off point for a lot of rationalists. So I jumped into existentialism and nihilism and throughout like high school. Um, and then through enough willpower, I eventually, uh, settled on some, some objective realities, um, in this case, you know the the existentialist and the nihilist took hold, and and uh, that's where I get my utilitarianism. Is that it's the the problem that that most mainstream utilitarianism has is that it values positivity too much. Mm-hmm. So you have 
these utility monsters, which um, the concept there is, you know, you, you said, you know, let's, let's say we give everybody, or let's break it down into money, right? Let's say we want we want to raise the, the happiness of everybody, so we split the, the money equally, right? The problem is that that doesn't make everybody happy because some people like money a lot more. So you should give your all your money to them, which means you know the the the, the spikes happen there. So you have uh, you have Inuyasha really likes money, and so Where it's, do I really like money? <laughs> and so it's uh, and I'm I'm the I'm the salesman, so I guess I like money more. So I I like money way more than you guys do. So you guys should just be broke, and even though you'll be unhappy, being um, you know below the poverty line, or in this case. I've taken all your money because I love money so much. If we're if we're taking the aggregate or the average, it's super high because I have all the money and I, and money makes me really happy. So the the problem with, the problem with a lot of utilitarian arguments is that they end like that. Um, I so even if we have negative one hundred utility each, you've got like ten thousand utility. Right. So yeah, both aggregate and average is much higher than it would be if the money was split evenly. Mm-hmm. I think one of the 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 best criticisms of utilitarianism that can sort of stand is that consider individuals, it considers the broad scope. And so in many aspects, it can, be, it can be considered to fail because it doesn't consider individual people. And so, like you said, the differences between people means that they value things differently and that treating everyone the same and doing it like that doesn't just doesn't work. Well, and, yeah, so, and our aggregates, like, is... The problem I came to was, is happiness equal to unhappiness, right? Is pain and suffering, does it have an equivalent to happiness and i'd like to say so just because when you're when you're happy it means you're not unhappy but it's not a one-to-one ratio and so i i I split the two and i say instead of just having an overall aggregate where you can have these utility monsters we should put more weight on the pain and suffering because i was when i was trying to come up with my objective reality the only thing i could really uh find that was universal is that um pain and suffering is bad right so um did you find the corollary true that happiness and pleasure is good? It's good, but, but not it's as not... good as suffering is bad. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you have a, a breakdown? Like I think, like you said, it's like one to one. Do you have like a three to one, or do you just mm-hmm. kind of say it's it's just worse, like to some some extent? Nope. It's just weighted. It's just more weighted on the negative side. Fair enough. Um, so if we take, you know, if we take that to a to a large scale, we end up we end up pushing the button on a, on a smaller scale. Uh, the the goal should be to. Uh, to decrease pain and suffering, right? To make the world suck less. Um, but the reason that you had me on today uh, is because when you take that to a large enough scale and you have the option to push the button, um, my moral philosophy would say that you should definitely take, you should definitely push the button because then you're going to guarantee that there is no more pain and suffering in the world. Like, what if I just, if I just came up to you and without any kind of context said, I have a button that can that can get rid of all pain and suffering in the world. I can now see why you like sales. <laughs> <laughs> we don't just have you on because because you push the button. By the way, this button that we're talking about kills everybody or all life on Earth. Right, that's that's the trick. It has to destroy all life on Earth. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of the, um, the, the 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 vehement. I don't remember what the acronym acronym stands for. Voluntary human extinction movement. Uh, their their big deal is that we should the human race should you know, voluntarily get rid of itself. And that does not go far enough for me because I think in a, in a relatively, at least in a universally relatively short enough amount of time, something else is going to evolve and it's going to suffer just as much, if not worse. And on the way there, it's definitely going to go through something like we went through, which 
so, two hundred thousand years of, of, of shit. Yeah, oh, I wanted to inject really quick that we're not just having you on because you pressed that button. We're also having you on because you're a cool dude. So, oh yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a cool dude. There we go. Yeah, right. well, there's there's a bunch of you know cool ideas that I want to process, like uh, why happiness is less weighted than, or or you know why suffering is weighted higher than happiness. But uh, before we get into any of that, the very last thing you said that you would want to wipe out all life because eventually something would evolve up to human levels again mm-hmm. and have the same amount of hu- uh, suffering that we have. Which, first of all, was also the conclusion I came to when I was in your position. Uh, but it brings up the interesting question. Humans feel a uniquely high amount of suffering, then, in your opinion, because of our uh, ability to self-reflect and be conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You have creatures that will don't respond to any kind of stimuli, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have higher-level creatures that'll, you know, we're saying higher levels is for... The, because we're 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 egocentric, uh, <laughs> closer to us. I am uh, more than happy to call that higher level. Uh, you have higher level things that do respond to stimuli, and then you have things that have physical pain, and then you get to us that has mental pain, and then um, I I would have a sinking fear that if we if there doesn't already exist, there would exist in the future a some kind of pain that is worse than a mental pain that maybe we just can't perceive. Or that because we're not smart enough. Yet. Once we because when you think how how pain comes along, right? It's um, it's moving us to not die and spread our genes, right? And then once we figured out how to stop being in pain, um, something else had to come along to 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 make us not die and spread our genes, and that was mental anguish, right? So you have you have so you have societies that come together, and you want um, you want the society to succeed, and so then you have mental anguish. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't give this a high probability, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, if there wasn't some kind of greater pain that was past that, maybe like an empathic pain that, I mean, we could, we could certainly end towards. Right? I suppose if it's, if it is just outside of our conception, then I, then I'll agree. But it seems like between physical pain and mental pain, we've covered the two kinds of things that there are, right? So either something's going on in just your, you know, in your mind or in your body and it's affecting your mind. But other than that, to postulate a third kind of pain might be to suggest some third kind of thing. Well, the 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 ant can't fathom mental pain, right? So your position is that pain comes in. It, pain is inevitable uh, as you get smarter. The more conscious you are, the more pain there will be, and there's no way around this. There's no way a a, a life form as advanced as us could evolve without having that sort of pain. Um no way around it. I mean, we could, we could certainly work to work towards it. I mean, that's what, I, that's what I ideally what I'd like to, to see. In fact, an empathic pain might make us better people. Um, but I could, I could certainly see in the future ways that we can get around both physical and, and mental pain. Um, but as it is and, um, the way that evolution seems to produce creatures, at least on the earth, um, pain is a driving force for uh, for the for the changing of a species i just last week stumbled across an article about aversion learning ais which um you know artificial systems which are goal driven and the way they learn is when they fail to meet their goals they are given a disincentive <laughs> they, you know it's not pain in the technical sense uh-huh. but it is a situation they want to avoid and apparently that really helps with learning 
And I was like, there is absolutely no way that a version-driven learning can go wrong. Well, we should totally pursue this. <laughs> it also doesn't work in child-rearing, as it turns out. No, So no. Even, even when when rearing humans or dogs, like, it's better it's, to reward good behavior. Well, so it, you, it seems you, to you, work in image recognition, though. That's a should. But, but I, think, I think a thumbs up would work... I, I guess, you know, we're talking about alien minds, so who knows. But I, I, I feel like, especially if we're going to try and scale this all the way up to super intelligence, let's choose one that we made happy and not made sad the whole way right, on, right. on its way to godhood. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sadness and pain seems to be very powerful motivators. Could we, could, we, could we create a program that did not, you know, that that was not advanced by pain and suffering? Yeah, I think we could do that. Okay. But then we get into, like, transhumanism, and then we have to... And then we're, then we're destroying all... All humans anyway, right? Oh, just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. So yeah. you wouldn't be against destroying all humans by evolving into a transhumanist. We're not evolving, but developing into a post-humanity. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't be. Wouldn't be opposed to that. Okay. That's interesting. Because yeah. I, I thought that you were, that like the kill all humans was your ideal solution. Or kill all things. No, it's not the ideal solution. It's a, it's a, it's a hypothetical. It's if I had the button that like plummets the earth into the sun, would I push it? Yeah, but... Now, until then, I would like to find more productive ways that don't end up killing everything. Oh, everything no, and we should earth, totally yeah. talk about that, too, yeah. because uh, you're one of the few actual effective altruists that I know in real life. Mm -hmm. But by saying that if you had that button right now, you would plunge the earth into the sun, isn't that also um, implicitly saying, saying that you see that there is an extremely small chance that we'll ever get there, and it's overwhelmingly more likely that we'll be suffering forever? Um. Because you're basically killing all future inhabitants of the Earth as well when you push that button. Right, right. And I, I, I would, if I had to put a probability on, I would say that the that things are going to get better. I mean, currently they're they're getting better for humans. Um, and we're we've got more and more cows that are that are suffering and, and stuff like that. But I, I think in general the the everything will get better. But there will also be more people. Um, and so when we're adding up all the, remember that we're, we're separating the columns here, when we're adding up all pain and suffering, mm -hmm. we might have an overwhelming amount of happiness, but just because we're going to be having, having a lot more people as well. Uh, I mean, if I could, if I could eliminate that column is what I want to do, okay. right? If like, if I can make sure that nobody would have to suffer ever again, at least in, as far as earth goes, or, so, I, I, would, I would certainly do that, right? So you've read Those Who Walk Away from a Malice, then? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's a, a sh very short story about an ideal town of, I don't know, a few thousand people, and it is basically utopia. Everyone is entirely happy. Life is fulfilling and wonderful, mm -hmm. except in the basement of one house, there is a child that lives in abject horror and pain and suffering, and uh, it does that for, you know, its entire life, and there always has to be one of that. <laughs> and uh, the the story is basically about there are some people who, when they find that out, leave the village and never come back. Mm -hmm. Because regardless of how much total happiness there is in the village, you cannot make up for that one child's worth of suffering. Right. So are you saying that if the entire planet was really happy and utopic <laughs> and very fulfilled with their entire lives, uh -huh. and then there was like one old dude who was kind of curmudgeonly and grumpy and said, you know, TV really sucks. I cannot watch anything that's good. And my leg hurts, and I am just life is awful, and I wish I was dead. Yeah. You're willing to kill the entire human race, so that amount of suffering doesn't exist. Can I just get rid of him? No, I can't get rid of him. No, no, no. We'll it, see that. Then I have to have. Then I have to have a coefficient. Then I have to. I have to have a. Uh, for that, I have to know how much pain there is, how much suffering there is, and how equal they are. Right? How, how rather how they how how 
correlated they are. So there is a Not level correlated. of suffering you're willing to accept if there's enough happiness to balance it out. That's a rough one. Yeah. I don't I, I at that point if it was the entire world and then one curmudgeonly old man, I would I would I would hesitate to push the button. Okay. One yeah. curmudgeonly old man and three really sick cancerous children. Yeah, yeah. Then the button gets pushed. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Two well, cancerous I didn't have to push that very far. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I, but the I mean, we 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 don't have that. Just like we don't have the button, mm-hmm. right? Just, just I mean, I think a lot of the we, a nuke certainly wouldn't do that. Right. A um, it would have to be something that would destroy the Earth or the Sun uh, in order to do that. I mean, if the the, the whenever, whenever we take things to extremes, they're they're difficult. That's how we get yeah. to, that's how we get to the button, right. right? Because we take utilitarianism, we say what happens when you make the extremes, right? And that's what we mm-hmm. do. I mean, that's that's a good way to um, that's a good tool. In general, right? And so in physics, when you're testing things out, you put big numbers in, you put small numbers in, you say, does this work in both these? Yeah. Okay. I believe it's the correspondence principle in quantum mechanics. You, you, you say, okay, when we put these, when we put the, uh, when we put the numbers into quantum mechanical equations, do they turn into classical mechanics? Right? Because if they don't, then they can't be true. Right. right? So, so taking 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 things to the extreme is a really good tool, just in general. In general, um, going to hyperbole is one of my favorite intuition pumps, just in general. Uh-huh. Sort of like slippery sloping someone's argument or strawmanning it, if if done responsibly, can be a good intuition pump. Yeah. You yeah. say, okay, well, if we turned this up to eleven, would things still make sense? And if the answer is no, that's a good indication that they wouldn't make sense at whatever level someone's proposing it at. Yeah, you you are definitely more extreme than than I was or that I thought you were because. Originally, I had thought when when I was in the same yes, I would like to destroy all humans phase. I was of the opinion that uh, it was impossible for there to be more happiness than there is suffering. And at the time, I hadn't uh, read this because I don't think it had actually been written at the time. But there's a great post over at the View from Hell called the Transdimensional Justice Monster, which uh, it posits a godlike being that can alter. Uh, where utility is to make to make the universe as as net positive as possible. That uh, you know there there may be more suffering in the past, but that leads to greater happiness in the future due to gains from productivity or you know like the industrial revolution. It was kind of shitty to be a factory worker, like mm-hmm. really fucking shitty. You died from black lung. You got rickets. You got to work twelve hours a day, seven days a week, so on and so forth. But it led to so much economic growth that the great-great-grandchildren of those workers are in a much better position. Now they, you know, can sit in a cushy air-conditioned office and work, you know, 12, 15 hours a week and surf the net for the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. But, um... There's, there's probably more happiness than unhappiness. Okay. I think, it's, got, I think it's gotten better. I, and I, I, I think the, that it's gotten... The trans-dimensional justice, justice monster post was basically arguing that when you even everything out that, you know, we had to take our happiness by making the past more miserable, that we take our happiness in the developed world by stealing resources and happiness from the undeveloped world, and no matter how you try to balance things, no matter how you shake it out, net utility across the entire species, across all time, is always negative. That you cannot get more happiness than pain and as a total. And so the best solution is always to wipe out all life, because... Net utility is always negative. And that, that is like what I consider the strong form of the argument. But the fact that you're saying that even a tiny amount of suffering overcomes all happiness, I, I, that's like really strange. Why do you value suffering so much more than happiness? 
uh, because it's the only thing that I could find that was intuitive. Uh, maybe intuitive is the wrong word. When I, because it, it used to be, it, it's, I think it's the only thing that we can agree on, right? I don't mean everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were going to find people who, you know, think that pain and suffering is is the way, and that it's it's valuable. And I'd argue that it might be necessary in some circumstances, but I I think it's the only thing I can that we can. Uh, universally agree on at least as a human species which is what defines uh, ethics that is bad hmm. i was going to, i was going to make an argument that then made me sound like someone could just change a couple words and make it sound like a defense of the problem or a, a defense of evil like mm-hmm. you know in the problem of evil with religion mm-hmm. but then i just realized that we can just look at it a little differently and say so one, one of the comebacks to the problem of evil in religion which is the problem of if you take the Christian God as traditionally conceived, how do you justify the existence of the amount of evil that there is in the world? Mm-hmm. If God's supposed to be all-powerful and all-knowing, why doesn't he go out there and fix things? Or at least not think, let, think, let bad things happen. And benevolent. And, you have to have benevolent for the third horn. Right, yeah. So one of the comebacks is, well, suffering is, is good because it, it, you know, contrasts with bad. Or excuse me, it, it contrasts, suffering contrasts with pleasure and lets you appreciate pleasure more. And I was going to say something to that extent, but then I realized that made me sound like a, uh, evil apologist. So to, to, to bring it home, the or an apologist for evil, the, the rejoinder to that then is why is there so much suffering? Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't every human learn how great it is to not be in pain just by stubbing their toe once in their life rather than like getting their arm blown off and then having phantom limb pain for their, for the remaining 60 years. So that's, that's the, the classic rejoinder to the comeback of all well, suffering is good because it, it makes people appreciate, appreciate not suffering more. So have you seen Scott Alexander's reply to that? I haven't. Oh, it's the most brilliant thing in the world. Let's hear it. Okay. And, uh, I, I find it really ironic that an atheist had to come up with the only good rebuttal to this, but, uh, it, it takes place in the, in the form of a conversation between Job and God, because that's the kind of guy Scott Alexander is. And, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible story, Job basically asks God, why is there suffering in the world? Why do good people suffer? And God says, hey, did you make the world and cause the sun to rise? No, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and it was basically, in the Bible, it was basically a bet with Satan, too. Yes, yes. And it but, was like, I'll the, bet this guy will still love me if I fuck with him. Bet, bet's on, bro. And then he keeps fucking with him more and more. And Job stills devoted. So, yeah, but, yeah. but the core of the story is, why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is, because of them, you know, fuck you. Because we have the capacity to feel bad. Yeah. Uh, but the, the in the in the rewritten a conversation between Job and God that Scott Alexander wrote. Uh, Job asks God, why can't you just make a world where everyone is happy and there is no pain? And God says, I did that. Job's like, no, there's a lot of pain. And God's like, no, 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 not this world. There's a different world where there's all <laughs> happiness, no pain. Everything's great. It's like, oh, well, well, why did you make another world? It's like, well, I thought, you know, there, this is a lot of people, but I could make an entire world where there's tons of happiness and just like someone stubs their toe once in all of human history. And think of how much more happiness that is for just a tiny bit of pain. Totally worth it. So I did that. I made so much more happiness. I was like, well, could I make a world where just two people stub their toes? And so on and so forth. And basically, it takes the quantum uh, multi-world hypothesis that every world that can exist does exist. Except it takes it that every world where there is more net positive utility than net negative utility exists. 
And God's like, you know, I'm sorry, you happen to be in one of the worlds where it's kind of right on the edge, and there's only a little bit more happiness than <laughs> sadness. But, you know, take it to heart. <laughs> Feel happy inside, because in the human race, the species across all time, there will be more happiness than sadness overall. And so, therefore, it's better for this world to have existed than not. That does ring a bell. And I remember when, yeah, when you mentioned the, the many, many universes, I thought that was funny. Yeah. So, but then I guess to bring that, that analogy home, mm -hmm. uh, w which is where I was trying to bring it. So say if we could make everyone on earth as happy as Enyosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That uh, may not be happy enough. Well, but, but is that happy enough? You, you admit yourself fairly so, happy most of the time. Fairly happy most of the time. Yes. So if we could ever give everybody, put everybody at the top of the hedonic treadmill. Well, I mean, they can't, they can't all fit at the top, but like, I mean, just to, to raise, raise how, <laughs> oh yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> depending, depending on politics, of course they can. Um, like Stephen Colbert, I won't rest till everyone's in the upper 1%. Right. So, but no, I guess just, just to raise so that, that the, the, the to make Inyash the saddest person on earth. Uh-huh. Right. So would that be happy enough? Like, would, would what? Would, would, would you still, enough? would you still push the button in that situation? So like. With, with someone with a fairly with a fairly high level of professed happiness, if that's the saddest person on Earth and the animal equivalency jumps up as well, would, would that Earth would you still condemn it to be pushed into the sun if you could? I'd be pretty. I'd be. I'd be pretty happy with that Earth. Um, so that sounds like a more attainable bar, I think. Yeah. Than, uh, I mean, am I am I guaranteed that it's going to remain like that forever? No. But I mean, <laughs> let, let's say, let's say, let's say the odds to, are, are nine and ten that'll remain like that till the end of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so right. So so this is where you get at it, right? So you have you've got uh, decision theory where you multiply the you take your you take your your utility and you multiply it times the percentage that it'll happen, right? I mean, this is kind of in standard game theory. And so I think the the, the way I think what my what I think what I'm doing when I'm saying I'm pushing the button is I'm taking that unhappiness, that pain and suffering, and I'm taking the small percentage that it'll continue or that it exists at all anyway, and I'm multiplying that times the, the negative utility. And that negative utility, like pain and suffering, like imagine just the worst thing you can. Like just take a person... Years of torture. Just, yeah, just an entirety of, of torture in a dark room, something like that. Like it, it gets close, it approaches negative infinity. And so no matter what you multiply it, times i mean that's gonna be like for for me that 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 i can't not push the button because i have i have the possibility that that's gonna happen now wow. well, yeah right because you have i mean like if i could prevent 50 years of torture mm -hmm. like i don't know i don't i just well, can't fathom not pushing the button in that in that situation no matter what else it entailed and uh, the, I, this I isn't an, I'm just really quick this isn't an endorsement of of any suicidal propositions but there's a non-zero chance that someone is going to pick you up on the on your drive home today and torture you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. What's to make you decide to not take your own pill before you leave the room, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to talk you into it, for the love of God. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so how do I uh, cognitive so, cognitive dissonance is so, how I do that? But you would you would condemn humanity to non-existence on the small. I don't, I don't condemn them. Hypothet. Well, you would if you reward them with non-existence at the small chance that everything could get really bad and stay that way. Versus not extrapolating that to like a case by case basis. Yeah. Okay. So just just cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Right. Like if I if I want to continue, I have to pretend that doesn't exist, right? I mean, fair enough. I don't. Yeah. I also don't have any free will, so like I, I that, that's just how I continue living. Right. And I I I, I maybe shouldn't have said that because I'm I I guess I was just. This is a dark episode. It, yeah, it kind of is. Dark episode. 
Maybe it won't make it out. It probably will. <laughs> Trigger warnings on it. Right, definitely. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be a dick. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to better understand it. So, like... No, you're not trying to be a dick. You're just trying to say, why don't you, why don't you kill yourself, Steven? <laughs> I, that's not where I was going. So one of, one of the reasons I don't kill myself is because I assign right. a very, very low probability to the, to the chance that I'll live the rest of my life in abject horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're saying that on the chance that, that humanity as a whole or life on earth as a whole could, there's a small chance that it can live abject horror forever, that, that would justify ceasing its existence. Well, this is a closed system too, right? So like, I'm just confining it to me. If I were to kill myself, I would create a lot of pain and suffering in the world. Oh, oh yeah. So that so it's predicated on you wouldn't press a button that would kill half of everybody, but would right? You cause yeah, it would. I have to get every every form of life and everything that could possibly like. I have to even get, um, I have to get like amino acids, right? I have to destroy the ocean. You you, you gotta you gotta so plummet you, the earth. You would have to wink out the whole universe then too, huh? That's, but but uh, is or the, I can or I can hope that everyone else will push the button too. Is the amount of suffering that you would cause by killing yourself today greater than the amount of suffering multiplied by the probability of it happening of you being tortured for the rest of your life another fifty years? Well, let's see if we take the. Uh, I mean, you can't multiply infinities, right? I'm kind of worried how how far we want to push this. <laughs> the, uh... We push it all the way, Stephen. <laughs> we do not stop until we hit the wall. So, like, like what, push what it if... all the way so Jason doesn't leave this room, right? Like, now. like, <laughs> what if, uh, what if, what if my killing myself made five other people just extremely depressed for the rest of their life? Or what if I, you know, what what if I killed myself in such a traumatic manner or something that would give people PTSD or, or you know, anytime they heard that? I'm not saying that. People love me so that, that much that they that every time they heard my name they would just you know break down. But they're they're it, it's a closed system, so that's, that's why we have to in the button. The button is the entire system. You know we're not we're not taking other life forms into consideration, anything that might exist on another planet or whatever. But the button in is the because it's because it's everything, right? It's all everything that can feel can no longer feel. I can guarantee zero. I'll, I'll, I take that. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, so that that sounds like a a good counter argument to anyone who I, I'm trying to. I don't, I don't think your argument holds though that suffering is worth that much more than than happiness, because mm-hmm. even though you say everyone can agree suffering and uh, pain are bad, I mean yes, sure, but pretty much everyone can also agree that happiness is good. Yeah. yeah. So just because everyone can agree that suffering is bad doesn't mean that you shouldn't count happiness. Pain feels worse. Does it? I think pain feels worse than happiness. I, w- I would rather... I, I think pain actually has the same hedonic treadmill problem that happiness does. Because I've I've been in... I mean, just, just in terms of physical pain, I've gone through some surgeries before, mm-hmm. and the recovery was fucking horrendous. Yeah. I felt like Han Solo when he was being tortured in Star Wars, you know? It just, oh, it was, it was awful. I took some painkillers and it went away. But before they kicked in several times a day for about a week, it was insane amounts of pain. And now I don't like remember it at all. I mean, I, I vaguely remember that it happened, but it doesn't register. It fades into the background and you quickly, you quickly get over it. I, I hear that's the same reason because women have more than one child because the, the, despite the intense agony of childbirth, eventually, the pain just kind of recedes into the background. You're like, okay, whatever. It's it's the same head uh, tr- treadmill. Well, women have more than one children because, I mean, they've they've evolved to forget the pain that they went through. Yeah, we've all evolved to forget the pain we've gone through. Which means that, I mean, if it's if it's such a 
I mean, if, if happiness doesn't count because we forget it, doesn't pain also not count because we forget it? But the fact that it has to be forgotten mm-hmm. for anyone to exist, doesn't that kind of speak something to the magnitude of, of pain? No, no. I think you should count the pain as it's happening, but it shouldn't count forever there afterwards. But you don't remember it. I mean, and we're also continued right. self here. Yeah. Like, the person who went through that pain, certainly, I mean, they, they, they experienced that. It's a, I, I, I wouldn't consider the person who went through the pain the same person who who is now happy and doesn't remember the pain. Right. It's a very kind of selfish thing. When then, then when you, you have a child, you're going to say, I, I want a child at the moment, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really, you're not getting consent from that future person. Right. I, I don't see how that is a argument for uh, saying that pain is so much more of a consideration, though. Just because... Oh, no, that was a tangent. Oh, that was, that was a, a, that was okay, a tangent, right, yeah. Okay. Ah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't really have a... Okay. I don't, I don't you, have a... I don't have a solid argument for it, okay. yeah. These, I mean, these are very... And these are kind of very loose... You know, when we get to the extreme hypotheticals, they're 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 very loose ideas. Because we're, we're never actually going to experience such hypotheticals. Yeah. Unless anybody out there has the button. Don't. If anyone out there has a button... And presents to Jason, we are ethically obligated, Stephen and me, to kill one or the other of you, because I, I am not down with total genocide of the human race. I think, I think both, just to be safe. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Even, like, like, I would still say that the percentage, the, the probability of there being, like, I, I think that there's more happiness. Like, it's tough to, like, we can we can take surveys, and it's tough to... Stuff to involve any kind of animals, but I think that there's more happiness. That's just a just a hunch and based on a couple of like world happiness surveys. Uh, but even like, I, I think if there's a very small percentage that a, a very small chance that things will get worse, and I I'm fairly optimistic that uh, at some point pain and suffering will cease to exist. But you know, if I had it now, it, 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 does that happen quick enough? Does that happen soon enough to get to the point where we're all as happy as Inuyash? Do we all get? I, do I'm we? Do really we? Uncomfortable being our baseline for a happy person. I think you're the happiest person in the room. <laughs> Am I? Well, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm happier than Jason. We apparently because <laughs> I am. Based on a conversation, yeah. but I, I, I am uncomfortable being called the happiest person because, despite the fact that I am happy often, I am not happy all the time by any means. Uh, let, let's backtrack a little bit and yeah. say that we're, we were at the point where talking about. As happy as you can get, maybe, like, not theoretical maximum, but, like, happiest non-diagnosably, or non-happiest neurotypical person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's probably somebody out there with the opposite of depression, where their happiness is just, it wavers between 9 and 10, they're just doing great. But that stuff doesn't get diagnosed, because you don't go to a shrink's office to complain about it. Mm-hmm. So, well, so, uh, so there's a manic a pixie disorder. dream girl out there, you're saying? What? There's a manic pixie dream girl out there in the real world? Probably. Okay. What's that? Oh, you aren't familiar with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll have to link it to you then. It's it's basically every movie made by a middle-aged white guy where a depressed, mopey, kind of college-aged white guy runs into, and, you know, like very straight-laced business, serious kind of type, uh, but just not happy with his life, runs into this girl who's just free and one with nature and does whatever she wants and she's like oh let's go have crepes because i see crepes over there and just always manic happy pixie dream girl gotcha yeah. okay yeah. now i can picture some examples from from stuff i've seen so okay. yeah um yes those people okay so they're they're probably i don't know this is getting way too they're we're, probably we're, non-existent well probably. They, we don't well they're not in the dsm they're, it's not a disorder because it doesn't affect your life in any adverse way right exactly yeah. 
Um, so this this whole giant tangent came about because Ineos didn't want to be the, the, <laughs> the, the happiest person <laughs> in the room. Happiest person in the room. Uh, but so that's fine. Uh, now I can't remember where I was going with that. It's been five minutes that I derailed us. I'm sorry. Uh, how about how about this? How about we can work? Can we work backwards? We can say how about let's do it. If you are starting from the uh, the the people who would push the push the button, right? In this extreme hypothetical, I would like I would like to point out like my. I know that there is a movement out there. I think this just came up in conversation, right? Like uh, that was it was that my opening line was, "Hey, would you kill all all of all of life on Earth if you if you could?" Um, but like these are, I, I don't even give them a lot of thought because they're just so like that. That's not going to happen. I, I give it zero. Mm-hmm. Um, we can work backwards and say, "Well, what can we do to reduce pain and suffering?" Even if you um, don't. From the point of view of of, of people who uh, are going to value pain and suffering over happiness, as far as like a, a negative utility goes, uh, how do they live their life? Right. So I think something I would have in, in, in common with the with the vehement movement would be stop having as many babies. Right. As many or period. Well, vehement would say period, right. but as many is a step up in their opinion. Okay. Well, we can get to... It's better than having 20 babies. Get to the point where resources balance out, or at least resource distribution balances out. Right? Um, so, but you see the state advance... You see this in places that are that are happy anyway, right? The, the, so, high, the, the higher the, the, the higher the income gets, the, the fewer children people tend to have. Yes. Um, so, I mean, don't don't contribute to uh, unwanted children in the world. Uh, I, I take the, the stance of effective altruism, right? So... Um, we can do things that reduce the amount of pain and suffering. And that's, in the case of effective altruism, giving to effective charities. Um, we don't need as much money as we make, and we can give, uh, we can comfortably give chunks of that away to organizations that strictly pump that, turn that money into less pain and suffering. We should quickly define effective altruism because I'm sure not every listener is familiar with it. Uh, well, for, first of all, the, the effective part generally means that you compare charities and you give money to the one that does the most good per dollar. Yeah, if you have if you have two choices, um, this is the, the consequentialist, right? Yes. The, 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 the ends. You, yeah, if you could spend $10,000 to save one life or $10,000 to save three lives, you give to the charity that can save three lives with the $10,000. Yeah. Or, as some of the best charities go, if you could give $10,000 to save... 35,000 lives, right? I don't how think mu- it's that much. How much does malaria net cost? I be- well, well, I believe that the... Three, against, to, three to five dollars? Yeah, I believe that the standard, uh, currently, the, the standard estimate is saving a life cost between one and two thousand dollars. Okay. I was thinking back to the 1976 essay by Peter Singer, 1975 right, right. or six or seven or eight. We don't need to worry about lives, though. We're worried about pain and suffering. Yes. Oh, right? sure. So, so if we're deworming children, that's like 35 cents a pop. Um, if we are talking about uh, mosquito nets, that's three to five dollars per mosquito net, and that can reduce a huge amount of pain and suffering. Plus, it then allows more stable households um, when your parents aren't dying of malaria or, mal- or your, your siblings aren't dying of malnutrition. They can go to school. They can make more money. They can um, they can then increase the overall happiness of themselves and the, their loved ones and all the people in their area for 35 cents a pop. 
Right. And the, the essay I was thinking of was called uh, Famine, Affluence, and Morality. I couldn't get the title of his one of his newer books called uh, The Life You Can Save out of my head, and I knew that wasn't it. So we can link to Famine, Affluence, and Morality on the website if you want to. It talked me into being becoming a a charitable person when I was 18. I read it the same week I read Animal Liber- or, uh All Lives Are Equal. Mm-hmm. Or was that it? All Animals Are Equal. And that week I became a vegetarian for like five years. So yeah. uh, it was. I found it very persuasive. Not everyone responds to argument the same way when it comes to these sorts of things, but I think effective altruism is, first of all, a much happier topic for the second half of the episode. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, it's one of those things that is so, I think, obviously clear mm-hmm. for anybody who agrees that charity at all is an okay thing or is a desirable thing, but there's still a lot of kickback to it, which is weird. Yes. People get, I think, indignant I, I I remember seeing someone complaining that the effect of altruism was taking money away from arts like opera and 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 sculpture in the cities. And I and, and I would come right back to that person and say, yeah, it's giving it right into the lives of people who need to you know who who need life saving. I think the more interesting part of it, I mean, all that is interesting too. But I think perhaps the most interesting thing about effective altruism is the earning to give mentality, mm-hmm. where it is considered a very high value, a very ethically good thing for a person to do to get the job that pays them the most that they can possibly uh, swing with their skills and then donate a large portion of that directly as money to effective charities. As long as your job does not make the world worse. Make itself. the world a lot worse, which is is can be difficult when um, pain and suffering pays, right? Like uh-huh. uh, I, as, a, as a salesman, I want to find products that don't cause more suffering than offsets or offset by the income I'm going to make by selling those things. Yeah. I don't remember which way the equation came down, but I do remember someone looked into uh, whether becoming the CEO of a tobacco company and donating 99% of your earnings was a net positive or not. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a fun, see, that's what I like jumping to hyperbole, but this is, Ooh. this is, the, this is a real life hyperbole. That's yeah. awesome. Oh man. I want to, I could, like sm- like cigarettes for malaria wouldn't that be wouldn't that just be a great campaign oh man uh, if, if 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 every if, time uh, you light up you're saving a child's life the three dollars from every pack you buy goes to save this kid and put a picture of some oh my gosh or marlboro wants to kind of come up with a new advertising campaign i think i think they just they just found it oh oh we could how about this we could cut we could cut the the tobacco we could cut sin taxes and we could take uh we could we could keep the same tax in there mm-hmm. but just have that go to oh isn't that what syntax does anyway it's totally what syntax does it's, it's totally just not what syntax very, does it's, it's just, just not, not very be, not very effective yes they, they do not target the money usually very well yeah that still sounds awesome <laughs> but i think so some of the kickback so i guess there is yeah someone complains about arts and opera or something which seems maybe about a little more defensible than some of the other kickback you get from people are so the effective altruist if you're straw manning the person could be like, oh, so you're saying the fact that I give money to my local animal shelter isn't enough? And so the effective altruist would be like, kind of. Mm-hmm. So I think some people find it indignant to challenge them and say, sorry, your your impulse to charity just isn't good enough. It's not well calibrated. Do charity better. And people find that insulting. So I I don't. I, I think it's fine. I would rather be pointed out. Like if I was giving all my money to um, name a popular but shitty charity. I, I can mm. actually... Well, let's, let's, I can, you might lose some sponsors here. <laughs> I can name a charity. Actually, I cannot say the name of the charity because I don't know the name. But I, I there's a charity that every year comes to my work and takes volunteers. And uh, my my you know my workplace 
will pay people just their regular uh, wages to go and work at this charity for one day a year if they want to. What they do is they take two blankets and they cut fringes along the edges and then they tie them together. Th- that's the charity. Yeah. That that is that is that feels like an anti-charity to me. It is taking productive hours that those people could have used at a charity that actually does some good to tie two blankets. That you, what what do you get out of two blankets tied together that you wouldn't have just from layering one blanket on top of another blanket? How about how about how about like the Catholic Church? I mean, it can looks we, prettier. Can but... we go to? I mean, tithing, right? Right. Sure. So, like that's how I started. That's how I started giving. Was I said, okay, well, let me. Let me see what's doable. Let me let me do ten percent, right? And so that's because that's a tithe. Yeah. So if you're tithing to the Catholic Church, where is that money? What is it going to? How much pain and suffering is it reducing? But that's probably that's probably one of the biggest um, one of the one of the worst uh, charities that you give to. If you want if you want to come up with a uh, something a little uh, less agreeable, you could say things that go to fight climate change, right? So dollar per dollar um, money. That goes to maybe research, but I'll try to stop climate change is, is is being spent very poorly, partially because we don't have a, partially because we don't have a um, cost effective. Yeah, we we don't have a cost effective way to, to 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 fix it, and that's the other thing, right? Like, do you pour all your money into uh, into one big thing that could possibly reduce um, pain and suffering on a large scale, or put it into a guaranteed, you know? nets and water and, and, and food and education. I think the, the general idea of the effective altruism movement is that we, we pour our money into the, the things that we know we can fix that are guaranteed. Yeah. Right. So and, things that reduce suffering. Yeah. There's, it's an interesting case because it feels like it feels like you're at least being consistent that something like donating to the arts or, or opera is something that would increase happiness but you're more concerned about reducing suffering. So uh, at least you get props for being consistent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. So like the, the, the stop climate change dollar per dollar ineffectiveness is, is one example. But as far as, as long as we're, I think the, for me, there's something I'm still sort of undecided on. So I tend to split my charity budget between like the machine intelligence research Institute, which stands a non-zero chance of more or less creating utopia in the next century. Right. Mm-hmm. And something like uh give well or, the uh, Against Malaria Foundation, where I'm saving literal lives and, and reducing suffering, I guess not today, but however long it takes that money to get out there. So on one hand, it's 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 a payoff between a bet of some probability that this is going to make everything awesome forever versus I'm at least doing some, some solid concrete work today. I also want to maybe point out that I think Miri's uh, goal isn't necessarily to usher in utopia, but to prevent unfriendly AI from destroying everything. Fair enough. I've I think got, I think related to that is creating friendly AI right. that could make things better. I've, yes. got, I've got a hypothetical for you, Stephen. Let's say that there is a machine that can that will create utopia, right? It's going to is this is this for people or is this for is this more of a, on a transhumanist kind of thing? Yes, <laughs> yes to both. Yes, yes to yes. both. Do do you not consider transhumanist people? I mean, by definition, when they not be well they wouldn't be human no they wouldn't they wouldn't be human but they'd still be def- people. i don't know what the definition of people is right. i think i think of people is it depending on which moral philosopher you ask it's uh a being that's inside your moral sphere of concern yeah. so to a lot of people um so i think they have to break down special terms for like so for me i feel well scratch that because that that's a shitty definition but it is one that's out there um a better definition is a being that's able to think for itself and not want to die and has some level of introspection. So by that, by that measure, there are a lot of 
uh, non-human animals on Earth that fit that definition, like so, chimps and dolphins. Dolphins, thank you, and elephants. That's a fun semantic term. What is? Expanding the word people. It's defined people. Well, no, I mean, so like, God, it, yeah, we could be here all night. My, my hypothetical. My yeah. hypothetical um, is this machine creates utopia. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's. I mean, just taking yeah. out the potential parts that make us unhappy or whatever you want to, um, it puts a chip in us that just feeds this constant dopamine. Whatever, whatever your idea of, of utopia is, it it's, a, it's a little different. But, but <laughs> it sounds like a horrible um, place to be. But you have to feed it everything on Earth. Then who's the, who's the utopia for? It's for the things that live after that. But if you feed it everything on Earth, how's, how are things living? I guess I don't understand that. What if it's what? What if it's to force a what if you have a chip what if you have a, for, a force chip that you can put into people that will guarantee that they will no longer experience any kind of pain or suffering i think that would be a terrible thing i think that some level of pain and suffering is uh, important that if all you were ever i mean are we are we seriously saying that at the point of just being blissed out on heroin kind of happiness yeah so see i i think i think that would be that would be like hell i, I think that for there to be a uh, meaning in my life, there has to be a possibility of of being disappointed. And I'll put because it this way: if everything you do has the exact same uh, has the exact same outcome, then there's no point in doing anything at all. And I'll there's put nothing it, to strive for. I'll put it this way: for an intuition pump, uh, at the risk of sounding like an evil apologist, like I don't want to be as happy if my loved one if if my loved one lives or dies, right? So, like, if I'm going to be the same whether or not they continue to exist in what sense do they even matter to me it's like the fact that i would be sad at their loss makes that that is that's an integral part of them having meaning in my life yeah i don't think there has to necessarily be suffering but there has to be the potential for suffering at least yeah imagine them dying or something I mean, yeah i guess i don't know but like it, it would just be weird to think that you know a, a sibling or a spouse or something dies and the definition of what I, you know, if someone's saying I would want to feel just as happy three seconds later, like their death, I don't want it to impact me whatsoever. Like, what do you, what does that even mean to like say that you care about them? Like, I, I why, 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 why wouldn't that be like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't grieving be, why wouldn't getting rid of grieving be, be awesome? I think, I, I'm not saying necessarily not getting rid of grieving, but like, you know, I said having the potential, I guess it would just be weird to be completely indifferent to their life or death. Yeah, That's I mean, not indifferent. You, you greatly enjoy their existence you, you you love them you care for them but then when they die they just they're they're gone and you don't feel pain and suffering i think this this was tying more into like the the binary so you used the word whacked out on heroin i think i think the word that we can we can link to with the definition is orgasmium and i think that's part of what you were getting at <laughs> yeah, yeah where some people would argue that there's an ethical obligation to move humanity into orgasmium into an orgasmium state which is basically just this big Basically, I I don't know if, if I haven't talked to a heroin user who's as stoked about heroin as you seem to think some of them are. <laughs> well, uh, at the point you've actually injected it, yeah. Well, well, sure. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't isn't this the opposite of so? If we're gonna if we're gonna value happiness over pain and suffering, doesn't isn't this to where we get? Don't we? Don't oh, we? Is that why you? Is that why you abandoned happiness entirely and only focused on suffering? Because you because of the orgasmium. No, I, I no, you, the, the, you wanted to avoid that. The orgasmium is win-win. We oh, that, okay. There's no pain and suffering. I don't. I, don't, I win in that situation too. Oh, okay. So. But I'd rather do that because 
remember the, the the utils are split into two columns it's right happiness and pain and suffering yeah so then i've i've gotten rid of the suffering column and i've, I've boosted the happiness column to as high as i'll ever get so yeah the, the super happy world basically yeah now i'm trying to decide if an orgasmium world would be better or worse than no world at all i guess better but it's hard. I mean, because I think it would be indistinguishable from a, va- a world with no value at all. So, so if I, if I, um, there's two buttons. I'm about to implant the orgasmium in every everyone and everything. I would again be ethically obligated to kill you. Before what if you the, could push it? What if the only option you had was to blow up everything? At that point, I'd be neutral. The two worlds are equally awful. Everyone experiencing constant bliss is worse than nothing at all uh it's no it's not worse it's equal to because there is no there is no growth there is no change there is nothing of value in a world where all you do is feel happy all the time i don't think that the feeling of happiness is a good in its own right i think if i put the orgasmium into your brain you would you wouldn't believe (laughs) that anymore (laughs) but i wouldn't want to self-modify into somebody who, who would feel that way right yeah I don't think that pain and suffering is good. I mean, obviously it's bad, but I think that having nothing but happiness is also bad. Or nothing but ultimate happiness all the time. Right. So, like, if if everyone's scale was moved... So, like, I don't know, just arbitrarily, let's say on a scale from 1 to 10, 5 and under is suffering, and and 6 and up is, is happy. Mm-hmm. If we could move everyone to have their base level be 6... And mm-hmm. they can still move between six and ten. That sounds like that there is some value still there, right? Six, six and ten is good, yeah. So, but I mean, so that's what I'm saying is that they could they could be happy all the time, but there's at least gradations where some things make them happier than others. They're more happy doing something that they like than something that they hate. So, I guess I was just I was scribbling with saying so, making people happy all the time versus making everyone blissed out all the time. So, what would the what would the, if you're a six? What's your goal? What do you what do you want as an individual? You want to be made more happy. So you want to get up to a 10. Yeah. And if you're at a 10, what's your goal? Your goal is to stay at a 10. Okay. I, I, uh, but then if you just put people at 10 all the time, you take away their ability to achieve any goals. Why do you need to achieve goals? You've already achieved your goal. I, I disagree. I think working towards goals and achieving goals is actually an important part of being a human. And if you were just to give someone that happiness all the time, that, that diminishes the meaning of what it is to do things and to matter in a universe. Would you be less happy? I think I, well, see, now this comes down to how we're defining happiness. If we're defining happiness as the chemicals in my brain making me feel happy feelings, then obviously no. But uh, me right now would say, yes, I would feel, I would find very little value in that. I think, okay, so I, I'm going to get briefly onto what I have heard as the definition of happiness, which I, okay. I find to be the best definition, at least in my personal opinion. Uh, so basically, we are all um, we are all executors of adaptions that we have evolved over time. That uh, these adaptions help us to survive and help us have grandchildren. And what what uh, what I've heard is that the when you do something which in your ancestral environment consistently led to greater reproductive success in the terms of having grandchildren, those actions would bring about a feeling that nowadays we call happiness. And nowadays, this doesn't necessarily map onto things that actually bring reproductive success. Like, we can be happy when we gain fame and status because that means more resources for us and our children, even though when we have sex, we're, you know, sterilized or using birth control or something so that we don't have them. 
we still feel that happiness, even though it doesn't increase our reproductive success. But things that in the ancestral environment led to reproductive success are what triggers that feeling of happiness. Mm -hmm. Are all of those actions... Uh, or are their modern day equivalent still good or worth pursuing? Because I imagine like winning a war yeah, was a great definitely. rush back then. Oh, I've heard it's still a rush nowadays, yeah. But that's not something that necessarily is worth keeping around just for that. that no, not necessarily. I'm just saying this is, the, this is the only definition of happiness I've found that actually made sense to me. Okay. Like when I was trying to figure out what the hell happiness even is, things that lead to reproductive success was the best definition I could find. Or that lead to... To, that lead to um, ancestrally led reproductive success. Yes, they, uh, which and you anticipate leading to reproductive success. So there comes a point where once you have accrued, this is where the treadmill comes from. Once you have accrued a certain level of status, you're not increasing your reproductive success at all because you're already at that level. We, we should we should probably point out what the hedonic treadmill is because I, I I mentioned and didn't, didn't oh, define oh. it either. The hedonic treadmill yeah. is the idea that when something happens to make you happy, you're happy for a set period of time. And then you revert back to the happiness level that you were at before that happened. Studies show that people who win the lottery are happy for a few months and then revert back to their, their roughly base level of happiness. Mm -hmm. And the converse is true of people who are injured in uh, debilitating accidents like uh, quad or paraplegic. Although there has been some interesting rebuttals to that recently. I bet. It'll, I, it'll, sorry, it, it, also, it also says that when you hit um, that... When you're when you're looking at income levels and happiness, um, people who are in poverty are unhappy, and then people who you know you hit about seventy grand and you're you're pretty happy, and that's about as happy as you're going to get because after that you start get diminishing you start you start to get diminishing returns. So you can you can make double triple that, but you don't double or triple your happiness. Yeah, the, those are all the things that are good. Yeah, so I mean that's that's the thing where if you get uh, another girlfriend, you're like, "Ooh, I'm really happy for a short period for a period of time," and then like you know it, it, it reverts back to the mean, and so then you're like, "Ooh, I gotta go get another new girlfriend," or you know you publish a book or something that makes you really happy. After a year or two, you're back to where you were before, and you gotta mm -hmm. you gotta go forth and try again. It, you always revert back to your happiness, so you always gotta strive to get up there, uh, you know, again and again and again. So we've 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 implanted you with the orgasmatron. Mm -hmm. um, is that what it was called, the Orgasmatron? I think it was Orgasmium. I like Orgasmatron. I like it too. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's the Orgasmatron was from Barbarella. We've, it sounds more like something you do to somebody rather than just like a state of being. <laughs> Barbarella. We, 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 we give it to Inuyash, um, who is already the happiest person in the... In the whole wide room. In the world, he's now happier. We then, we turn it off for an hour for repairs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do you turn, do you put it back in? I imagine I would want to at that time. But what's the problem? Because otherwise you're the protagonist in Brave New World. Uh, no, I understand. Uh, the problem is that I don't consider that real happiness. I consider that the same kind of happiness that you get from taking heroin. Couldn't you do both? Couldn't you? Couldn't you be on the? Couldn't you have the orgasmatron in there? And like, well, why is this a limiting factor? Couldn't you? Oh, if I if I could just like you know take some drugs the evening sometimes. I mean, I I go out and get wasted every now and then. Yeah, I mean, if I could just occasionally plug it in, have a have a fun evening, then I might be willing to do that. Yeah, it would just be if someone took away my ability to not be on the orgasmatron, then I would be upset. But you wouldn't really be upset. I, because you'd have the orgasmatron in. Depends on whether I have the ability to think or not while the orgasmatron is going on. Kind of. Yeah, you're just really, you're just really happy. You're just nine or ten all the time. You're in that, you're in that, that, that kind of 
state that we were talking about earlier. Sounds too much like um, self-modifying to the point where I'm no longer a recognizable person. Or at least not yourself. Right. Yeah. So, so we're, we're, we're assuming that you have a self, but that's a that's a whole that's a new episode. That is another episode. Yeah. yeah. This isn't philosophy bites. We can we can link to an episode on the self there. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like I'll go out and voluntarily take drugs sometime, but now say I'm going to start, or rather, someone's going to start giving me drugs without my without my informed consent beforehand and they're just never going to stop like that's that's sort of where it's at right mm-hmm. so it's like well you're happier now what's the problem but it's like well i didn't ask for this and now i feel like i'm a different person than i was and if you'd asked me before i would have said no well i think that's the reason heroin junkies are so sad uh to to us i mean i, I know i keep bringing up the heroin thing and you're like heroin junkies aren't that happy and no they're not I, I, at the point at the time of injection they get you know the bliss which is great but we do consider their lives sad because that's all it is just even if they never had any downsides, if it was just a constant bliss, that would still be really sad. There's nothing else to their life. They, you could they, replace any human with the same human, and it wouldn't really make a difference. I'm sure that there's plenty of functional, happy people who also take heroin. Yeah, I hear a lot of doctors. We actually. should we should we should make up a drug because he- so like the problem with soma. Can we just call them somas? Let's go with soma. Yeah. Then. That sounds awesome. Soma yeah. was the drug from Raven World. So yeah, the the issue with heroin is, and, and really any hard drug is that it stops becoming about. This is going to feel great, and this is going to make me stop feeling shitty. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's more of a like it just makes the rest of your life suck, and you just you're you're trying to get more leveled out as opposed to really enjoying it like your first couple times. Right, but even orgasmium or soma or whatever we're calling it, I would consider that sad because there's just that one brain state. There's no change. There's no challenge. You could swap out any human for any other human at that point if they were all just maximally happy. It wouldn't matter if you had six billion people or one person. Yeah. Because every person is just a copy of the same happy person. Yeah. That's not horrifying to you? You you, you would just keep... Re- I mean, at that point, are you I, anything I would prefer... but a paperclip maximizer where the paperclip is a person in the maximum state of happiness? You could tile the universe with maximally happy person, and that would be okay. I mean, it's better than pushing the button. I'd rather do that than push the button. Ooh, it's better than pushing like, the I don't, button. I don't know if there's anything... So I think the only, I think the only thing that we have to do at that point would be to, to just copy the amount of people as many times as we can, right? So then we wouldn't want to limit growth. We'd want to, I mean, we'd still want to maintain within resource limits. But if we could, if everyone was equally as happy, then we'd just want to make as many of those as possible. I would say at that point you had wiped out the human race. And it wouldn't matter if you push the button or not because that's that's not the human race anymore. So? So I put some value on being human and having the human race around. The definition? You like the definition? You like having the label? I I self-identify as human. Yeah, I don't think it's just the label. I think it is it is a ontologically different thing from what you are describing. But if your goal is to achieve happiness and this is constant happiness, even if you're not a even if you're not a human, if you even what if you are just transhuman? Uh-huh. We should have tabooed the word happiness an hour ago. <laughs> we really should have started out with that. Yeah. Because I, I feel like we're talking oh, about... Oh, shit, yeah. We guess you should wrap this up, actually. It's getting, yeah. getting yeah. late. We can cut out a little bit, too. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I feel like we're we're equivocating a lot on what we mean by happiness. So I don't think like the happiness that that humans today enjoy and that they value is the same kind of thing as orgasmion. Right. I don't so, think that would be happiness anymore. That would just be a chemical state. I take it. I, I take back the, the whole button thing. If anyone has an orgasmium, <laughs> I'll take that instead. Okay. I would take it 
for a few hours, a couple times a month. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Ju- yeah. Just, just, just once. Just, 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 once just twice, this once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first one's free. <laughs> Jesus. So, <laughs> so what have we, what have we learned in this episode? Hi- have hypotheticals are. We, okay, so, <laughs> when you, when you first came in here talking about pushing the button, I didn't think you were a scary person. Like I, I, I know other people would think like someone who'd wipe out the entire race if they could is scary. But to me, it wasn't scary because I could relate to that, you know? Now that you've said that you would be okay with just reproducing the one happy person throughout the universe, I find you a scary person. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an interesting thing. I didn't think this is where I would end the night, nor did I know that about myself until just now. And maybe next time we'll talk more about effective altruism. Next Although time, you're, next still, time have... you're still awesome. We, we can have different you know, philosophies about the end state of humanity yeah. and still be cool with each other. Mm-hmm. That's the life lesson here, people. <laughs> if you can look past your... <laughs> If you can look past your your extrapolated volition def- differences, <laughs> even if you want polar opposite things, you can still be friends. Because right now you're not you're not creating you're not necessarily in charge of creating the future. Right. But yeah, I think next time I want to I want to talk more about effective altruism. I think that that's a fun broad topic that sure. is very popular in the rationalist community, but also I think very transferable to everybody else. So maybe, maybe we can get Peter Singer into the studio here. Shit, oh man, that'd be awesome. We can try to get him in over Skype. I don't know if he's got time. Yeah. Well, no, I, I doubt he would fly out to Denver. No, I meant to have to. Ooh, yeah. I bet you we could do it if we made a big enough donation. I don't know if we have that kind of money. Yeah. But if we did, that would definitely be the way to do it because then his coming here would mean a huge like decrease in pain and suffering. It's what true. if we could just all write bad checks? <laughs> Does, does that justify the mean? Does that no, justify the end? I don't think it does. <laughs> At least he certainly would not say not agree to that. And then Neither we get back I to for... the whole truth thing, which yeah. we got to have a we got to have an episode about lying at some point. Yeah, mm. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily endorse that either. I was more I was just trying to make a joke, but right. yeah. Well, you, think... you also just gave away. Like, I hope Peter Singer isn't listening right now because you just <sighs> gave away the plan. our secret. Yeah, damn, they're real checks, Peter. <laughs> Swearsies. <laughs> this is not that much money in the account. <laughs> no, there's times I'm 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 super loaded. That two Flush. trillion dollar check is totally gonna kill you. <laughs> Wipe out malaria if you come to the show. Alrighty, uh, should we wrap it up then? Um, yeah. Any any last thoughts? Anyone want to get to really quick? Or I really wish that before we come here, uh, like two years ago, I read a comment on Less Wrong called "Suffering is Valueless," which made a good argument. I thought at the time I don't remember most of the content now, which is why I want to go back and reread it. I wish before we came here I had reread that because it had a um an argument for why suffering should actually be considered valueless in ethical theories. Hmm. And uh, I will find that and send it to you and ask you what you think, and then we will not talk about it on the air because, you know, that will be in the future. And right now we're in the present. I want to see it too. That sounds interesting. Okay. And anything you want to plug or anything you want to pitch? Yeah, you should... um, We can put two websites in there. We talked about what can you do, right? What can you you do if you you think that we should uh, destroy the... Destroy all life on Earth. What can we do instead of that? We can put up uh, GiveWell. And then um, there's there's another website. I forget the name of right now, but it goes over. It's called like 8,000 Hours, I believe. 80,000 Hours. 80,000 Hours. That's more, yeah, unless you're working part-time. Right. Um, 80,000 Hours. You can put that in the that in there. That, that, that's going to... It's like, well, you only have this much time. What's, what's going to be the most effective use of your time? So, like, what career based on your skills and what you kind of want? As a job in life, that'll, that'll kind of give you give you a path there. Fantastic. We will link those. Both good resources. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for sticking it through if you made it this far in this episode. 
it was interesting, if not necessarily a happy topic. Yeah. Uh, so, thank you for joining us. Yeah, we'll see you again in a couple weeks. That's it. Thanks. Go Bye. home. Bye. Bye.